You're listening to The Diplomats Podcast on Asian geopolitics. As always, I'm your host, Ankit Panda, recording from Washington, D.C. And I'm your co-host, Katie Putz, and I'm recording from Maryland. Good to be back with you, Katie. How's it going today? Doing pretty good. And so, uh, Katie, this has been a while, but we're actually joined by a guest today. Uh, And so I'm delighted to introduce on the podcast today, uh, Muhammad Taki, who is a columnist at The Wire, an India-based publication. And Muhammad's also written for various other publications on Pakistan and South Asian issues. Uh, He is um, based in the United States, and we're very happy to have him here today. Muhammad, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ankit. Uh, Thank you, Katie. Glad to be here. So, um, Mohammed, we have a lot to go over today, uh, because since the last time we did this episode, uh, Pakistan has been through a tumultuous political period, uh, seeing the premature end of yet another civilian prime minister's tenure in office. Uh, so Imran Khan uh, is no longer the prime minister of Pakistan after a constitutional crisis uh, that was resolved by the country's Supreme Court, uh, resulting in a change of government now uh, to the leader of the opposition, Shabazz Sharif, who's the new prime minister of Pakistan. So we have a lot to cover. Uh, So just to give listeners a little bit of a preview of the issues we'll be talking about today, uh, first of all, we'll begin by talking about what exactly happened. How did Imran Khan come to this place where he found himself uh, trying to, uh, you know, resorting to extra constitutional means to hang on to power in Pakistan? What might we learn about the nature of the Pakistani military's role in national politics, which has always been prominent and remains so. Uh, And then because this is the Asia Geopolitics podcast, we'll talk a little bit about the implications of these developments for Pakistan's uh, relations with its neighbors, primarily India and Afghanistan, uh, and its relations with the United States, China, and perhaps others as well. Um, Mm -hmm. So, Mohammed, I'm going to turn it over to you uh, to really walk us through uh, what exactly happened here with all of this constitutional drama uh, and, and, and how exactly Imran Khan came to experience this dramatic fall from power? I guess in one phrase, it would be a controlled demolition of the hybrid regime project that uh, the Pakistan army had put into place uh, back in 2018. Um, Yes, on the face of it, uh, it was fall of a civilian uh, prime minister, but Imran Khan never uh, really was a civilian prime minister. He was uh, a facade, a fig leaf for uh, a hybrid regime project that uh, the Pakistan army had put into place uh, back in 2018, but it had been in the works since uh, at the very least 2011, even though Imran Khan has been in politics for 20 odd years, 20 some years. Um, in in uh, 2018, uh, essentially, uh, the Pakistan uh, army stole uh, uh, the elections on behalf of Imran Khan. Uh, um, and prior to that, they orchestrated uh, uh, fall and disqualification of uh, the three-time former prime minister, uh, Mia Nawaz Sharif. Uh, uh, in, in assorted ways, uh, Imran Khan was helped uh, in agitational uh, tactics and propaganda by, by the army's machinery uh, leading up to the 2018 elections. And then uh, um, um, it was supposed to be uh, hunky-dory where uh, the army uh, and uh, a modicum of civilian uh, facade uh, lived happily ever after. Um, and for, for a period of time, uh, uh, almost three three years or so into the uh, project, um, it, it was working okay, okay in the sense that it was okay for them, but not for the country. Uh, um, from get-go, it was poor governance, uh, uh, economy in shambles, really no uh, uh, economic plans, uh, no governance plans, so to speak, other than uh, um, really uh, a, a whole lot of hot air and demagoguery 
story coming from uh, Imran Khan and his patrons. Um, he had actually um, come into power um, uh, promising that um, the stolen monies, and, and that is an allegation that he has thrown around loosely and consistently throughout his career, that uh, the established political parties, uh, which uh, granted that they have a, a, a strong dynastic uh, tendency, uh, they have stolen from Pakistan and stashed the money uh, abroad. And these hundreds of billions of dollars uh, would be brought back and put to good use in Pakistan. Well, uh, none of that came to fruition. Imran Khan did not have a plan B. Uh, Imran Khan uh, did not have uh, any type of economic uh, <clears throat> scheme under his belt. Right. Um, and so, and so the the economic theft theory that was that obviously goes back to the Panama Papers crisis that brought down that, that, that is correct he he uh, but uh, Panama uh, Papers was was sort of a windfall that uh, both Imran Khan and Pakistan army got they really did not plan it but they uh, made uh, hay while that uh, uh, Panama Papers story broke and in the end analysis it was um, uh, obscure type of uh, reason that they used to um, uh, convict uh, Mia Nawaz Sharif, uh, even though his own name was not in those papers. It, it was Nawaz Sharif's family's uh, uh, business that were mentioned in the papers. Uh, he was convicted uh, on something else, which was holding a residential or residency permit for uh, United Arab Emirates um, uh, and not declaring a salary that he did not receive from uh, his own son's uh, company. So that that's what they uh, eventually nailed him on and disqualified him uh, for life. But more than that, Imran Khan went after uh, uh, politicians as a class, uh, uh, as an entity, and smeared them and slurred them to no end, uh, but had zero, nothing to show uh, for all these allegations. Not one of them could be uh, convicted on on actually anything substantial not one so uh, the the economy continued to be uh, problematic now uh, mind you that uh, under nawaz sharif uh, the economy might not have been um, uh, jumping leaps and bounds but uh, growth rate was was steady above 5 or 6% gdp growth rate in pakistan inflation was single digit uh, um, international uh, at least they tried uh, um, cross border trade uh, which was and received a snub from the Pakistan army. I know for a fact that uh, trade with India was, was snubbed by the army, but overall it was a business friendly government. It was a, a, a <clears throat> government that, uh, that preferred uh, international uh, investment to come in. Um, and people were, were relatively happy with that prospect. Now come Imran Khan and um, the economy took a nosedive under him. Uh, investor confidence just eroded. Uh, any hot money that had come in just evaporated. Essentially, uh, the economic growth came to a standstill uh, before uh, going down into uh, the negative territory. Inflation skyrocketed, double digits. Then came, came along the uh, COVID pandemic which uh, effectively was was a uh, was a boon for for uh, Imran Khan for two reasons one he could blame everything and anything on on the pandemic and uh, on top of that uh, some of the economic facilities uh, uh, that his government did receive. But what they had delayed was that Pakistan was supposed to negotiate uh, a package with uh, the IMF uh, at the time Imran took power. Uh, um, but since his uh, uh, 
uh, uh, populist uh, rhetoric was was far too nationalistic. Uh, uh, he did not want to go to the IMF and delayed the inevitable till till uh, it was right. way too late. And eventually, when uh, they did negotiate, probably twenty second or twenty third time, Pakistan has uh, received an IMF facility and maybe thirteenth, fourteenth in the modern history. Uh, it, it was probably too late. Uh, then he soured relations with Pakistan's traditional partners, uh, even Saudi Arabia um, and, and uh, other entities. Um, so the um, sum total of all of this was that economy was in shambles, but Pakistan army tolerated all of that. All of that just because uh, he was he was really their monkey. Uh, they would say jump, and the question would be how high. Um, that that's all there was to it. And uh, what went wrong? What went wrong was that Imran Khan's uh, thought was that this is supposed to be a project, and he was pledged that by the army, and they did not make any. Uh, um, uh, and uh, secret of it that it's going to be a 10 years project. The first term is five years. After that, uh, General Kamar Javed Bajwa would uh, pass on the baton to somebody who uh, who is uh, in sync with this whole project. And that somebody happened to be uh, the Director General uh, of the Intelligence Service, uh, Inter-Services Intelligence, uh, General Faiz Hamid, uh, who was very tight with Imran Khan. And as uh, uh, the C Directorate Chief, uh, he had orchestrated some of these election maneuverings and whatnot right. and hobnobbing. So when Imran Khan, this, uh, last fall or, or around uh, October, he uh, wanted to retain uh, General Faiz as the ISI Chief, uh, the Army finally said, no, uh, um, uh, what I've always maintained it that Pakistan army has always uh, chosen its favorite civilians, but it does not let the civilians have the luxury of choosing a, a favorite general. Right. So, so let me, yeah, so let me bring in, uh, so Katie, I know you wanted to sort of dig in on the military point. So let me just pass it over to Katie for a second. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I, I wanted to ask at what point, you know, did, did Imran Khan become sort of inconvenient from the army and, and, have they picked a new civilian, uh, as you said, uh, or, or or has this change kind of um, thrown them from a loop for a loop also? So uh, this this happened right around last fall, uh, like I said, around October. It uh, it was it was brewing for a while. Imran retained the DGISI mm -hmm. uh, close to him, and uh, army let him for a while. But uh, this guy, as there's the convention in the army, he was supposed to go out and uh, uh, command a corps before he could be eligible to become army chief and so on. But Imran insisted that uh, he wanted him close to uh, uh, the federal capital. And uh, he was able to retain. But once he insisted and did so quite publicly, uh, the army said, no, uh, enough is enough. And that's where the uh, rift uh, came into uh, open and it, it just snowballed. Um, and then uh, Imran had been uh, presenting to army that he is their only choice. Mm -hmm. And what was happening was that the... Uh, um, uh, the former Prime Minister Mia Nawaz Sharif, uh, who has had a very long history with the army, first as their uh, preferred civilian, uh, very shortly thereafter, he uh, um, 
um, was at loggerheads uh, with the then army chief uh, Gen general this is 1993 that i'm talking about uh, general abdul wahid uh, kakar and um, um, then nawaz sharif eventually morphed into a champion of civilian supremacy uh, asserting uh, himself in uh, all the three stints that uh, he had as the prime minister so imran's uh, pitch to the army was that look it's either me or this guy who despises your guts so you you cannot have it both ways um, it's either me or or uh, you will have to contend with nawaz sharif who was going after the army all guns blazing he had put together a, a conglomerate a coalition of uh, opposition parties who were holding rallies there was this firebrand religious cleric maulana fazlur rahman who was also uh, uh, ticked the army for for ditching him he used to be their uh, former ally and um, a political ally and uh, quite a bit of a supporter of their taliban project uh, so this is what was happening around october november last year and then uh, um, the the opposition parties including uh, mian nawaz sharif's younger brother and the now prime minister uh, mian shahbaz sharif who was a former three time uh, chief minister of the punjab province he uh, convinced his brother and other opposition members uh, opposition party leaders to let him have a go at it and present uh, the opposition as a viable alter alternative to imran khan uh with some conditions that it would not be as pliable uh, uh, a dispensation as imran khan had been but it would uh, provide an alternative and they can actually uh, uh, bring the economy back on track where the military which currently as as of today they are they're probably looking at uh, reserves which could barely pay their salaries over the next 6 to 8 weeks uh, that's kind of where the pakistan's uh, forex uh, reserves are at the moment so army was looking at very dire cons uh, uh, predicament where they had brought in this this guy who was supposed to uh, do their bidding but also uh, deliver to an extent and was a complete and total failure uh, um, really uh, so um, this alternative as it came along army uh, came up with this idea and started professing it that they're going to be neutral politically neutral and remain above the political fray now they had uh, brought in and held together imran khan and his Uh, party and government uh, he had plurality in the national assembly but uh, not the simple majority and uh, the army had effectively cobbled together his coalition so what started happening was that now they were not queuing in these these partners and allies and everyone was allowed to make their own choices now uh, in, in theory this could be neutrality but it wasn't you know the scaffolding that held imran uh, government's facade together was just taken away from him and uh, the guy was in a free fall Uh, so, on the other um, hand uh, mohammed um you know what does this say sort of more broadly about pakistani politics is this a moment where sort of we've seen a civilian process reassert itself the no confidence vote for example because imran khan is the the first prime minister in pakistan to be ousted in that way um yes. So is is that is that is that you know am I just looking on the sunny side of the street when I say right, that right. is a the civilian process working as it should um or or is this fitting into sort of maybe a new modality for the the army to assert control but not really so a little so a little bit of both uh, i'm i'm a, a political worker by training and when there is political upheaval you always see an opportunity in it <laughs> uh, 
um, yes, the army was on the ropes. Uh, uh, their own uh, conceived and produced and uh, executed project was uh, falling apart in front of their own eyes. Uh, they could not do a whole lot to repair it, and they had to look for alternatives. Uh, have they learned a lesson? I guess only only the time would tell. But when uh, they are this week where they have to wrap up, and I've called it a controlled demolition, uh, you know, mm-hmm. they, they uh, feign neutrality, but, you know, there is no such thing as political neutrality for an entity like Army, which has been at the helm of political affairs for the last 70 years um, and some change, perhaps. So it's neutral uh, there until is, there's some pushback. Yes, but but there is room for civilians to assert themselves. The army is weak. They can, uh, like you said, there was a vote of no confidence, uh, um, which um, nobody uh, thought would eventually go through. And Imran took a wrecking ball to the whole constitutionalism uh, uh, in Pakistan. He tried to stall it, stonewall it, everything. And then these Supreme Court came and delivered, which really hasn't done that kind of uh, thing, except for one occasion where Nawaz Sharif's 93 dismissal was reversed. But even then, the army had prevailed and Nawaz Sharif had to go home. That was one occasion. And on another occasion, Supreme Court had uh, said, yes, assembly dismissal of 1998 by Ziaul Haq was illegal, but we can't restore it. A lot of water has uh, flown under the bridges. This time around, they delivered. So uh, this this is uh, uh, progress in, in that sense. Has the army actually uh, uh, become totally neutral and would they uh, stay out of politics? I don't think so. I, I really feel that uh, it is, It is. It, uh, I can recall uh, in the living memory in 1988 when uh, General Ziaul Haq met this uh, um, unexpected death uh, in the air crash um, and suddenly... Um, the elections which were which were uh, slotted for, I think it was November 1998, uh, they had to go through and the army decided that we are going to let those elections be based on multi-party system as against uh, the party-less elections what uh, Zia had uh, run before and let the things move from uh, a, a, a complete and total martial law. Uh, uh, control or, or army control dispensation martial law had been lifted uh, and let it go towards a multi-party d- a democracy but they continued to exercise the uh, levers of power that they had then we also uh, saw a very similar thing happening where the army took a step back and that was 2008 when 2007-2008 when uh, General Parvez Musharraf had to uh, eventually step down and let the uh, democratic multi-party system come in and and uh, take some shape and uh, uh, we saw a continuation of that till this uh, hybrid project came along but army never did relinquish political power in Pakistan in all those years since 2008 they had been controlling levers they it really got to their head again and in 2018 they did what they did uh, so I think that yes there's an opportunity for the civilians to get their act together, get their ducks in a row, assert themselves. Uh, but civilian supremacy is not going to be an event. And it's it, and this certainly uh, would contribute towards that process if they want it to be that. Uh, but but uh, the long, uh, the road is long and arduous. Uh, well, so, the- you know, Mohammed, just to so just to, you know, turn uh, turn gears, uh, change gears a little bit here. Um, so, look, I mean, the traditional understanding of Pakistan's foreign policy and sort of regional policy in particular is that, again, the military and the intelligence services are the final arbiter of the country's direction. And, you know, I think uh, in 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 the days and weeks leading up to Imran Khan's eventual uh, political demise, we saw some public disagreements between him and General Bajwa, right? And I mean, think I think the, the reaction to the uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine in particular when Imran Khan sort of flies into Moscow and talks <laughs> about how excited he is and then the general 
contradicts him. Uh, and of course, uh, I think we've also seen some differences on India there. And so, you know, we are the Asia Geopolitics podcast, so I have to sort of steer you in this direction. Uh, and it might be too early to say because we've just had a new prime minister in Pakistan now for a little over four days. But but what, if anything, do you think uh, the political tumult uh, means for how Pakistan is likely to relate uh, to India, uh, to Afghanistan, where I think there's going to be uh, perhaps a a a significant effect, uh, and also the United States, given uh, how how publicly uh, anti-American uh, Imran Khan had been, including in alleging all these uh, foreign conspiracies leading up to his uh, removal from power. So why don't we maybe begin with India, um, and then um, perhaps uh, you know Katie can ask you a little bit more about Afghanistan and others. Sure. Uh, so um, if if you look at the opposition parties uh, when they were building uh, this whole thing to a crescendo, uh, the the foreign affairs were hardly mentioned in that campaign. Economy and uh, inflation and domestic governance issues were the uh, primary agenda. Uh, um, foreign policy was as if they just did not want to touch it uh, along this road. But it uh, eventually will have to be discussed. Um, uh, Pakistan, for example, uh, I think it is it is one of the uh, lowest countries uh, on, a, uh, on the uh, trade to GDP ratio, for example, in, in the last 140, 150, if not 160, 170 ranking down there. And, and you have uh, a huge market uh, in in India, uh, you have uh, um, um, historical relations with uh, Afghanistan uh, that many of the Pakistani leaders have been uh, trumpeting that we'll go through Afghanistan, reach out to Central Asia. Uh, the only trade uh, that is happening uh, currently is with China, which is um, almost a, a predatory type situation uh, that is happening now. Uh, and uh, the new prime minister, uh, he is a businessman by by training, uh, as against. Uh, um, a sportsman like Imran Khan, uh, which sort of have a military mind of sorts. They, they see things in, in black and white. It's win or lose, even though cricket has a draw. Uh, uh, but talk about uh, poor timing and poor understanding. Uh, on the other hand, businessmen, uh, uh, like politicians, are uh, looking uh, to make things possible. And it is inevitable that uh, some manner of normalcy has to be restored between India and Pakistan, between Pakistan and Afghanistan, even though Afghanistan is, is under Taliban right now. But but again, I think the civilian priority right now is to uh, get the domestic act together, consolidate their position, and then talk those issues. There probably is going to be a gradual uh, and controlled thaw, and army is going to control that. I have not in my they have not relinquished that aspect of control. You see, uh, uh, historically, uh, having this kind of uh, um, a convenient pinata in, in Afghanistan or uh, this this uh, um, dreadful scarecrow that India has been, it justifies the army's uh, existence and it's uh, it, it uh, cements its uh, self-anointed um, um, <clears throat> position as um, uh, uh, the entity which it describes what the national interest is, uh, describes what patriotism is, and whoever is outside the pale of that uh, realm, uh, it, they get to smear people as traitors and uh, foreign agents. Imran Khan has has uh, gone on on this. Uh, uh, sort of an anti-American uh, ranting and uh, railing. Um, I, I think in the uh, end analysis, probably even the in the U.S. Uh, diplom uh, even the U.S. diplomats and the uh, establishment in D.C. understands uh, that this is uh, a lot of this is grandstanding and uh, an attempt to become a political martyr in, in Pakistan and energize his base. But I think it is going to be 
um, a sore spot for a while. It would take uh, um, um, actually a concerted effort uh, on behalf of the new government to engage all these uh, governments that that Imran has alienated, including Saudi Arabia for that matter. Uh, there's there's this anecdote about how Imran flew into uh, New York City on uh, uh, Mohammed bin Salman's plane, and then uh, something went wrong. Wrong, and Salman called his plane back, and Imran had to travel on his own. Uh, so these kind of things have actually happened. Uh, this is a guy who was who was a rookie. Uh, he may have been a, a cricket star at some point, but he was rookie at politics and an upstart, and he knew it. And some of this grandstanding comes from that fact that in the heart of his heart, he knows that. Uh, uh, he has to uh, stand on Putin's uh, shoulders or something else uh, to appear at all. And, and unfortunately, he timed it wrong. He uh, miscalculated a lot of that. Uh, I wouldn't say that it, uh, the, the whole uh, trip, for example, was his idea that the, uh, must have been vetted by the uh, army establishment as well, like uh, Director General ISPR said yesterday that it had been discussed. But the timing was so absolutely wrong, uh, even though for a populist and demagogue like Imran, he's trying to spin it. Um, to to make it look like that because of that uh, uh, the United States tried to um, go after him, but again it, it's it's such a half baked theory that he's peddling about the U.S. intervention um, that other than his own base hardly anybody would buy it. Yeah, I, I mean it was it was certainly interesting to watch, um, but if you look at sort of the timeline of events, there had been agitation since you said uh, since since October, since last fall um, over over Imran Khan's sort of longevity in the post. Uh, I did want to ask one follow up on on Afghanistan. Do you expect any um, changes in sort of the the Pakistan government's uh, approach to the Taliban? Imran Khan was pretty happy about the Taliban takeover, I would say. Um, but, you know, that's always been an, uh, an interesting relationship. So uh, what, what, if anything, do you expect to change about that? I, I think it, it really is a hot potato that probably the, uh, the new government is not going to touch uh, for a short while, uh, but it will have to. There's no way around it. Uh, having uh, a, a Taliban emirate next door is going to have its consequences for Pakistan. We have seen the uh, uh, rise of uh, re-Talibanization and uh, the Islamic State uh, Khorasan uh, making uh, inroads into into Pakistan now. There have been uh, a string of terrorist attacks uh, in the first quarter of this year already. Uh, the Pakistan army, as it says, they have been trying to fight them, but they are also uh, protecting some of their uh, previous assets and rehabilitating them. You know, this old uh, distinction, uh, arbitrary distinction that they make between the so-called good Taliban who don't attack the army versus the bad Taliban who do attack the army, that is still very much there. And uh, uh, lawmakers, uh, progressive lawmakers from the former tribal areas have been writing, speaking about it, that this has to end. So this this government uh, will have to contend with this issue uh, because if they don't, uh, the uh, and and with the with the political bickering that is going on, uh, Taliban is going to uh, present itself as an alternative uh, mm -hmm. in, in at least in those areas which are in the in the periphery, if not uh, in the towns and cities. But eventually, it it does encroach on the urban population, and that is when uh, the state really does wake up. 
so they, they would be uh, well advised to start looking at it. Uh, Taliban, Afghan Taliban, for for their part, uh, they have uh, shown their true colors. Um, uh, even the U.S. diplomats, who in all their uh, naivete, they they thought that Taliban has somehow reformed and evolved and morphed into something very uh, modern uh, IRA type thing, uh, even they are conceding that, oh, uh, this is back to the 1990s. Well, it's not back to the 1990s. Uh, they put on a, 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 a very good show and uh, you, uh, out of your um, <clears throat> political expediency, just bought into it. Uh, the United States did have the luxury of packing up and leave, but Pakistan does not. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, you cannot change your geography. Uh, you cannot choose your neighbors just like one cannot choose one's parents. Uh, this is a situation that uh, this this new government will have to handle and negotiate. Uh, one of the good things is that uh, uh, the new Prime Minister Shahbaz Sharif is uh, known to have very good relationship with the uh, military brass. Uh, I would suggest to him that, uh, you know, why don't you put those good relations to good use? Uh, try to instill this fear of God in, uh, in the brass that what they have done over the years is, is wrong. Pakistan and Afghanistan have cordial relationship, but it does not have to be through the Afghan Taliban. There are many, many other entities uh, who would be very willing to uh, talk and uh, coordinate with Pakistan and open up uh, um, um, the the, uh, the the contested uh, Durand line for trade and, and other uh, uh, progressive means. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of work to be done. Uh, this is uh, this new government is coming in at a very tough time. Uh, uh, economy is is obviously the top of its uh, agenda and the biggest problem that we are dealing with. But uh, but governance, uh, the Talibanization or re-Talibanization, those are those are really uh, um, the issues which cannot be put on the back burner. Well, um, Mohammed, I really want to thank you for joining us today and helping us make sense of all of what's been going on in Pakistan. I know, I know, it was a lot to cover uh, in one episode, but you know, we covered the domestic politics leading up to Imran Khan's demise, the new government's priorities, and the implications for foreign relations. Uh, so, really, thank you for uh, coming on and sharing your insights. Thank you, Anka. Thank you, Katie. Pleasure thank to you be very here. Much really enjoyed it. Thanks a lot. Great. Uh, and so for listeners, if you like what you heard on the podcast, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up with future episodes. And if you've been a subscriber for a while, but you haven't yet left us a review, please do that. You can do that anywhere you really get your podcasts. And we really do appreciate that. So thanks a lot for listening. And Katie and I will be back soon with more. All right.